The Agora Podcast Network. Agora is a marketplace of the mind, where intelligent, independent podcasts meet curious and discerning listeners. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Fascism comes to America, it will be wrapped in a flag and carrying a cross. Sinclair Lewis. Or, fascism will come, quote, wrapped up in the American flag and heralded as a plea for liberty and preservation of the Constitution. James Waterman Wise. Donald Trump's decision in 2020 to get the cops to tear gas a bunch of nonviolent protesters in order to have a photo op at a church with an upside-down Bible he's clearly never read was comically on point. It was the kind of thing that, as I watched it, felt so outrageously fascist in its ethos that it felt like he was just trying to win a bet with someone. He infamously said, I could shoot somebody in broad daylight on Fifth Avenue and not lose a vote. And perhaps someone said, I'll take that bet. Trump got more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. Do not look for them to raise aloft the swastika, warned Wise. The American flag will do just fine, as will an upside-down Bible. We did not descend into fascism in 2020 or 2021, in part because Trump's attempts to overturn the election and remain in power were also comically inept and backed by incompetent people. Just because he failed didn't mean we weren't close to the brink. Just because he failed did not mean that he did not try, that he did not have support. The United States had a brush with fascism, and it happened because too many people stood by and watched, and far, far too many people felt like what was going on was just fine. So far, the consequences for the attempted coup have been frustratingly few. The U.S. has not shown that it has the teeth to push back when a wannabe dictator is not unpopular. And so very little has happened. Unfortunately, nearly all dictators rise to power on popularity. The United States is not immune to fascism, and we cannot depend on contrast with fascist Europe to know that we are not on such a path. The leader of Spain's fascists, José Antonio Primo de Rivera, when building the formula for fascism in Spain, said the following, quote, Italy and Germany, 
turned back towards their own authenticity. And if we do so ourselves, the authenticity which we find will also be our own. It will not be that of Germany or Italy, and therefore, by reproducing the achievement of the Italians or Germans, we will become more Spanish than we have ever been. In fascism, as in movements of all ages, underneath the local characteristics, there are to be found certain constants. What is needed is a total feeling of what is required, a total feeling for the fatherland, for life, for history. We won't cover how Trump almost brought fascism to the United States. Instead, we will explore America's terrifying brush with fascism in the 1930s as a stark reminder. Democracy is vulnerable. It requires vigilance and civic education and true patriotic spirit. When these are in decline, fascism can sneak in the unguarded doors of our minds. Wrapped in a flag and carrying whatever the cross of the day is, if fascism comes to America... It will come to rapturous applause. Here on Reconsider, we have shown many times that violent internal division, street violence, and chaos have led again and again to the rise of dictators, each of whom was cheered into office by those desperate for peace and stability. This is true of Caesar. It is true of Napoleon, of Hitler and Mussolini. To some extent, it is true of Lenin. And very much it is true of Mao. Each came to power during times of great division and violence internally. Innocent people were dying, and they, not unfairly, wanted a powerful hand to fix things. Not all of the violence that dictators saw was street violence. In the case of Caesar, a lot of it was a true civil war. In the case of Lenin, uh, it was a war from without. The Germans were very close to Petrograd at the time. But violence played a major part on the rise of each of these dictators, as did internal divisions, as did hyperpartisanship. Today, we see political violence and division seeming to be on the rise in the United States and elsewhere. The occupations in Portland and Seattle, the Charlottesville white nationalist rally, the storming of the Capitol, The plot to kidnap governor of Michigan, Megan Whitmer, and dispense mob justice for her so-called treason. And the attempt by President Trump to stay in power despite losing the election and simply lying about it. These events should make you afraid. You'd be justified in being afraid for the future of the United States. I am afraid for the future of the United States. The question is, how long will normal Americans tolerate such behavior before they, too, ask for a strong hand to keep them safe and restore order? Today, you cannot claim to be a fascist. You cannot claim to be bringing fascism to America. The word is political poison, as is communist. This is just a marketing problem. We could see fascism in another name. We could see fascism in the name of liberty, in the name of democracy, in the name of preserving the United States. It would just be called something different. We've seen plenty of great fiction over the past century demonstrating the power of words to warp concepts in our minds. But in the 1930s, fascism was still in vogue. Fascism was not a dirty word yet. And so we talked about it much more openly. I lived in the city of Boston for 15 years, 
downtown on State Street. The post office building there stands as this huge concrete monument. It has an, these intimidating vertical lines and Art Deco eagles on top. It has small windows. It's heavy and oppressive, at least to me. It looks suspiciously like it came from fascist Italy. And in a way, it did. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, whose Depression-era initiatives led to the construction of this post office, was very fond of Italy's fascist architecture. He was, at times, fond of Italy's fascist government. This is not to say that FDR was a fascist, although he certainly was at times tyrannical, and we will discuss this. But that building and many others, that architecture, was a nod to a system of government that was very tempting and openly discussed in intellectual salons throughout the West before the Second World War demonstrated fascism's tendency to destroy within and without. In the 1930s, Charles Lindbergh's wife published a best-selling book calling totalitarianism, quote, an ultimately good conception of humanity. Charles Lindbergh himself, who was a very popular figure in the United States at the time, accused Jews of being war agitators. He cautioned against, quote, the infiltration of inferior blood and, quote, dilution by foreign races. He was a Nazi, and he was a popular one. In the 1930s, nearly 20% of Americans saw Jews as a, quote, national menace. The president of the American Political Science Association, who creates journals that I, as a political scientist, have read for decades, called for abolishing universal suffrage and said, quote, there is a large element of fascist doctrine that we must appropriate, end quote. Discussing fascism openly had become mainstream, including some of the really awful, scary Nazi elements of it. British historian Arnold Toynbee later wrote, quote, In 1931, men and women all over the world were seriously contemplating and frankly discussing the possibility that the Western system of society might break down and cease to work, end quote. Before the war, fascism was openly popular in the United States. People thought it was a, quote, rational way to organize society, much like state-planned socialism. Fascism's racist overtones were accepted as within the Overton window as well. The Klan, the Ku Klux Klan, expanded membership and rallied openly. By the time the Second World War started, over 100 white nationalist organizations had been formed in the United States in that decade alone. Why? Why did this happen? One thing that the rise of fascism and state-run socialism had in common across Europe was economic chaos and depression. People were hungry and needed a solution. They felt that divided legislatures in liberal governments could not act decisively enough to deal with the economic crisis. Americans were grappling with corruption, monopoly, inequality, political violence, racism, unemployment, and literal starvation. Americans were afraid and in pain. And many felt like it didn't have to be that way. They looked across the ocean. Germany's economic turnaround, however real it may or may not have been, from hyperinflation and long breadlines into an industrial powerhouse gave it many admirers, including those in the United States, still in the middle of a depression, looking across the sea to a system that seemed to be working much better. And when the U.S. economy seemed to finally recover during the war, 
When government had nationalized the economy nearly entirely, some argued that maybe it should just stay that way. Maybe the government should just run society. Maybe the government should run the economy and tell people where they're going to work and tell people what they're going to eat. It seemed to work. In the middle of the Great Depression, the president commanded incredible power and fought the Supreme Court for more. And Roosevelt tried to dismantle and pack said court when it pushed back too hard on his designs. Americans clamored for this. Americans clamored for FDR to have more power to help them as a single individual. FDR strong-armed corporations and broke them up. He built federal agencies with power far beyond what anyone had conceived the Constitution to allow until that point. These moves were extremely popular because they put people to work, they put bread on tables, they built infrastructure. FDR exercising extra constitutional power gave people hope, and hungry people tend not to quibble too much over whether the bread they receive is constitutionally given. Americans also looked across to Germany and saw that it had finally silenced years and years of terrible street fighting. The fear that the average German felt from communists and brown shirts, yes, the very fascists that they later embraced, taking over the streets with violence cannot be underestimated. In the United States, that street fighting was largely absent, and it may have been a large part of why Americans clung on to liberal institutions and democracy. Fascism wrapped in flag, history, culture, race, and religion also seemed to bulwark against a globalist, atheistic, and anti-nationalist international communism, which seemed to be trying to eat the entire world. Democracies seemed too weak to fight it. Frank Buckman, a popular Christian activist, said, quote, I thank heaven for a man like Adolf Hitler, who built a front line of defense against the antichrist of communism, end quote. And could these conditions be repeated in the United States today? Certainly. The U.S. economy is in an odd place as of 2021, but it is so debt-laden that it could seriously risk falling into a lasting depression and inflation. We look across the other sea now to a rising fascist state in China whose economy seems to be unstoppable and its success inevitable. Some wonder whether the Chinese are onto something over there, even if it does mean that rights need to be abandoned and some humans need to be ground into meat by the state if some cultures need to be sent to genocide in order to have the harmony required to lead to lasting growth and lasting economic functionality. We certainly have a resurgence of nationalist and racist rhetoric and thinking in the United States, and we have Americans who are very willing to abandon their past principles to support a strongman in the hopes of making the country great again. Donald Trump was not popular enough in 2020 to win a second term, and his bumbling attempts to overturn the election failed, but they did not dissuade his supporters. These efforts have left lasting wounds in our democratic institutions that we may not be able to heal from. Seven in ten Republicans believe the election was not legitimate, despite a complete lack of evidence to the contrary. The election being stolen is the big lie, and it is a convenient lie. And Republicans who want to believe it will cling on to it in order to attempt to defeat their dreaded enemy, the Democrats, the leftists. Some on the left, while not blatantly pretending such untruths as a stolen election, 
have been questioning the legitimacy of the Electoral College, the Supreme Court, the makeup of the Senate, and the districting process that elects the House. Americans, whether justified or not, are losing faith in and support for our democratic liberal institutions. These institutions seem creaky and ineffective at best. Many believe that their primary role is to support the accumulation of power and wealth for the wealthy and powerful. Others see the entirely avoidable brinksmanship in the Senate over the debt ceiling and wonder how long before political games and incompetence lead to economic collapse. And if that does occur, if the Senate doesn't kumbaya in December when the debt ceiling comes up again and the United States defaults for the first time ever defaults on its payments, an economic depression, which would be inevitable at that point, comes roaring in. Will Americans across the political spectrum conclude that the self-destructive ineptitude of such an organization require a strong hand to come in and, perhaps just temporarily, fix things by fiat? Might this be tempting as the U.S. economy drops like a stone for entirely avoidable reasons because a hundred politicians could not work together? What if enough Americans conclude the Supreme Court has already become tyrannical and overly politicized? What if enough Americans believe the Constitution is too rigid and preventing necessary reform? What if enough Americans believe that gerrymandering and the makeup of the Senate as a whole mean that minority rule will continue indefinitely, that the few will govern the many? What if some Americans believe in one failure mode and others believe in another failure mode and both fear each other putting their straw man in charge? In the 1930s, fascism became mainstream in America. Luckily for us, we had to fight a war against fascists. But this time... There are no fascists to fight a war against. There is no outgroup to hate. There is no one that we see tromping through Europe, burning it down to let us know that we should not go down this path of totalitarianism, of strong men, of a strong state. It seems like a strong state led by a strong man may be able to save us. Fascism becoming mainstream could happen again. Just under a different name. Better marketing. Will we be able to defend against it this time? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.